morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. My name's Amy Childerson, and uh, I'm excited to be here. My family and I usually worship in the other room, so it's a real delight to get to be in this room with you today. Um, last week, I grabbed Leah Garland. Leah, I don't know if you're here. I'm like, Leah. There she is, awesome. Like, you got any advice for me? I'm following you. I'm speaking today. And she's at a, um, Amy, I do. I want you to wear a belt. And I, I wasn't, that wasn't what I was expecting, but um, she's right, because this kind of microphone doohickey thing is a little weird. So I have my belt on, and I'm pretty sure it's just all downhill from here. Um, I'd like to jump in this morning and tell you a story about shoes. And uh, there once was a shoe salesman, and he wanted to expand his territory. So uh, he got on a plane, and he flew to Africa. And uh, the plane lands, he gets in a Jeep, and he drives the Jeep as far as he can, and then he walks on foot several miles to a remote African village, and he looks around intently, and then he gets really discouraged, and he says to himself, no one wears shoes here. So he, he gets back, and he walks several miles to the Jeep, gets on the plane, and he flies home. And then there's a second shoe salesman. He also wants to expand his territory and sell more shoes. So he too, he gets in a plane and he flies to Africa. He um, gets in a Jeep, drives as long as he can until he walks on foot several miles to a remote African village. He looks around intently and he gets really excited and he says to himself, no one has shoes here. So awesome. So the point of the story is that both men had the same experience. They just had a very different perspective. Um, can I have slide two, please, Marilyn? Tom said, Amy, would you consider speaking this today, and uh, would you come up with a, a one thing, a one um, title, a one line for your talk today? And so today, the message is about perspective. And my hope today, in keeping in line with a summer of story, is to share events from my own life and use them as a springboard for the ways that God is te teaching me to have a better perspective. Um, slide three, please. The areas that I'd like to address with you today are what is our perspective in finishing well? What is our perspective in being honest with God? And we're gonna talk about anger today. And also what is our perspective in hardship and loss and in death? Now my story, it began in the early 70s in a town about 60 miles west of here. And uh, my parents described me as being a very colicky baby. Now essentially what that means is I cried a lot. So much so that my mom took me to the doctor and she said, look, either you give her something or you give me something because this is too much. And so the doctor gave my parents a prescription for a drug called phenobarbital. And phenobarbital is a barbiturate. It's used as an anticonvulsant. It's used to treat patients with seizure disorders. And it's also used as a sedative. So when my crying became too much for my folks, my parents would put phenobarbital into my formula and essentially knock me out. Now, this was the early 70s, right? They do things a little bit differently then than they do now. But ever since I can remember, I've either been told directly or indirectly, Amy, you're just too sensitive. You're too much. My parents loved me well. I had a good upbringing, but this had a really negative effect on my self-esteem growing up. So I get to junior high, and at this point, the 80s are rocking, right? And my perm is too. <laughs> so I have bad acne, I have braces, and I told my peers I wanted to grow up and be a dolphin trainer. 
unfortunately, none of those things helped so much when it came to fitting in. And uh, so I was really ready for high school. And so I get to high school and I'm excited, right? Like I'm gonna finally be somebody and I'm gonna go out on top my senior year. Now in my house, the, um, the unspoken motto was go hard or go home. And so I had really high expectations to finish successfully. I remember the summer before my senior year, I decided to join some of my peers I'd taken Spanish with, and we were gonna go on a trip to Mexico City. And the point of the trip was to learn more about the culture, the drink, the customs, and to practice speaking Spanish. Well, we get to Mexico City, and one night a few of us think, hey, when our chaperones go to bed, let's take a cab to a Mexican disco. And so we did. Uh, two of our female chaperones went to sleep, and we got a cab, and we went to a Mexican disco. <laughs> and while we were there, we were dancing, and we're having fun, and we noticed shots of tequila are being served. So our 17-year-old minds rationalize that tequila is kind of a Mexican drink, right? And we're in Mexico. It probably couldn't hurt our Spanish speaking any. So we decided <laughs> we would drink tequila. Now, hear this. Every time a person chooses to drink irresponsibly, they put both themselves and others at risk for danger and for making poor decisions. And that night was no exception. It became late, we were out of money, we needed a way to get back to the hotel, and a local Mexican man, also at the disco, says to us in some broken English, I have a car out back, I can give you guys a ride. So the four of us decide, great, and we jump into a complete stranger's car in Mexico City. And by the grace of God, we got back safely. Now my friend, after drinking large amounts of tequila, became really sick, and she began to make a lot of loud noise in the hotel bathroom. So we got worried, and we woke up the chaperones, we wanted some help, and we were busted. We had to explain what we had done that night. So a few days later, we fly home, I'm called into the principal's office. I'm sitting on one side of the desk and the principal and the vice principal are on the other side and then they have a tape recorder on top of the desk. And they begin to ask me question after question and they recorded all of my replies. And I got into a lot of trouble. I got a Saturday detention, which is nothing like the movie The Breakfast Club, by the way. <laughs> And I got kicked out of the first one-third of all my senior year volleyball games. I was embarrassed, I was humiliated, and on top of that, my dad was the president of the school board. So <laughs> I was very ashamed. Um, but volleyball finally ended and my favorite sport is basketball. And back in that time, uh, girls basketball was six on six. And my dream was to play at state at Vets Auditorium. And two weeks into the season, I developed fevers, and I became really sick, sore throat, um, cough, and I went to the doctor, they did a blood test, and I was diagnosed with mono. Has anyone here had mono before? Yeah, do you know what that feels like? Um, I was pulled out of school and basketball for several weeks, and when I finally got back into basketball, my doctor said, Amy, I'll let you go back, but you have to wear a football flak jacket underneath your uniform. And that was to protect my enlarged spleen from any blunt force injury. So I get back to basketball and I'm feeling so slow. And I'm feeling awkward because I am the only girl out there with football gear on underneath her shirt, right? And also, um, I was sad as we did not only not go to state, but we didn't even have a winning season. 
Now, there were some good things that happened that year of my senior year. Um, you get to leave school during study hall. That's always good. Uh, I also got to see Millie Vanilli live in concert. <laughs> that was before we learned they were lip syncing. And um, I also got to leave school for a day and take a bus to Montezuma, Iowa with some honor roll kids. And back at that day, Monty had an area called the Fun Valley Ski Area, and I loved to snow ski. I'd been skiing in the Colorado Rockies ever since I was a kid, and so skiing on some hills in Monty was pretty easy for me. And I remember I'm skiing down one side of the hill, and I'm skiing underneath the chairlift to get to the other side, and the guy on the chairlift is clapping his skis together. Now he's clapping them so hard that the ski comes loose and falls and hit me right on top of the head. So it, it knocks me flat on the ground. I'm laying there seeing stars. I remember feeling blood run down the side of my face. So they put me in a sled and they pull me down the hill behind a snowmobile. And I get to the bottom of the hill and uh, they'd send me to the Grinnell Hospital for stitches. I go home and I'm recovering from a pretty bad headache, as you can imagine, for a couple of days. And I come back to school and where there used to be hair, I now have a line of stitches right here. It looks like railroad tracks covered in greasy antibiotic ointment. And when you're a teenage girl in high school, that doesn't look so cool. Unfortunately, my senior year felt nothing like going out on top or finishing well. Now, some of you have had some really good senior years, and some of you are going to have some really good senior years. But I want to share these experiences with you to raise the first question today. What does it mean to finish well? What does it mean to finish well when you make mistakes or uh, you get hurt, sickness knocks on your door? What does it mean to finish well? First, I think we have to define finishing well. Is it winning the big game? Does it mean you get the job promotion of your dreams? Is it retiring young with lots of money, or is it never getting to retire? Is finishing well mean you stay healthy until the very end? You keep your LDL cholesterol under 100, you're smart, stylish, and you are well-liked. Now, I think we would all agree that some of those things are really good things, yes? But hear this. When we depend on desires for greatness or our health, or our possessions and talents for security and worth, these very things become idols. Now God has some pretty serious things to say about idols, and I want you to hear this. This is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verse nine. Idol makers amount to nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. They are witnesses with blind eyes. They are ignorant to their own shame. They are witnesses with blind eyes. Idols keep us from seeing. Do we have the right perspective? Now Jesus was the smartest, the strongest, the purest man that ever walked to the earth. If anyone had the capacity to finish well, it was him. So today, let's consider his story. After only three years of ministry, Jesus' life ended in his early 30s. He was betrayed by his closest friends, he was beaten, humiliated, tortured, flogged, and crucified. In the book of Luke, we read after his crucifixion, two of his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're sad and discouraged, their faces are downcast, and they say to an unrecognizable Jesus, man, we thought he was the one. We thought he was going to redeem all of Israel, 
But sadly, after what had taken place, they felt they were wrong. In the end, on the outside, Jesus' life looked like a failure, like a defeated criminal. But what happens when we take a closer look with spiritual eyes? I want to read you, these are words from Colossians chapter 2. This is from the Passion Translation. Hear God's word. He canceled out every legal violation that we had on our record, on the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers of darkness. He stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. By the power of his cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Jesus ended well because he endured. He persevered. He remained obedient to his Father's will until the very end. This is the right perspective. Can I have slide four, please? 2 Corinthians 5 says, Those who live should no longer live a life absorbed for themselves, but lives poured out for him. Romans 12, 2. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. And 1 Corinthians 7, We are to live as those in the world, but not of the world, not absorbed by the world. For the world we know is passing away quickly. Friends, Jesus is not just a payment, but he is also the pattern for finishing well. The Bible says we are to come Christ-like. Our goal is Christ. Now, right now, some of you are probably thinking, you know, Amy, I'm not sure I'm swallowing all this that you're feeding me because this seems like an impossibly high standard. As a matter of fact, Amy, I could strive every hour of every day and not reach the bar that you just set so high. Exactly. None of us can. We can't because we can't do it on our own because we were never meant to do it on our own. Our part is to stay as close to Jesus as we can. We invite the Holy Spirit to come in. He does the work. He changes us from the inside out, right? He conforms us to the likeness of the Son, Jesus is the pattern for finishing well. I took an online class last fall by a pastor and author, Francis Frangipan, and he gave me a word picture I'd like to share with you today. He said, when a farmer plants a field, he doesn't plant it just to get mass quantities of stunted corn. He plants it with a desire for a harvest of full-stature corn. Christ is looking for full-stature Christians. As I'm slowly changing the way I think, I'm finding that what I value is also slowly changing. Words I used to live by, striving, pushing, achieving, doing, are very slowly giving away to words like seeking and being and resting and listening and abiding. Now on this journey of transformation, I'm still making a lot of mistakes. My life story looks like a three steps forward, two steps back kind of dance. But that's still one step each time in the right direction. We choose to learn from our mistakes. We choose to fail forward. Slide five, please. Jesus is not just the payment. He's also the pattern. God has a purpose for me and for you that is to conform us to the image of his son. 
I got to take a pilot class this summer with some really fantastic people. And we, t- we learned about Dallas Willard, some of his sayings and his teachings. And Dallas Willard said this, the person you are becoming is more important and more valuable to God than anything you'll ever do. And that's what we're sitting in. The person you are becoming is more valuable and more important to God than anything you will ever do. Finishing well requires the right perspective. It's holding loosely to the things of this world and seeking Christ and his kingdom above all things. As I was finishing high school, I made it to graduation alive, thank goodness. I was preparing for college and dad says, Amy, you have three choices. You can go to Iowa, Iowa State, or UNI. So I chose the University of Iowa and I remember the fall of my freshman year, I'm walking on campus and I come upon a protest I'm a small town girl, so I'm thinking, I've never been in a protest before. I think I'll join. So I became part of this very large circle of people, and as I listened, I learned that they were protesting Columbus Day. I didn't know that there was anything wrong with Columbus Day. Then it wasn't a violent protest. They didn't have, you know, weapons or anything, just some signs and some chanting. And as I listened, I learned that, you know, we respect and honor Columbus Day as the day that Columbus discovered the Americas in 1492. Some people, however, feel it's this very discovery that led to the mass demise and death of thousands of Native Americans. And there's actually four states in our nation now that no longer celebrate Columbus Day, but they've renamed it as Indigenous Peoples Day. It's a different perspective. So I settled into college life, I began my classes, and my freshman year I took archeology, span because I am a big fan of Indiana Jones. Now, tragically, it was nothing like the movies. Um, I also took hiking, because I figured I could ace that class. I took a jogging class, because I developed a really bad habit of eating this plate full of pancakes and eggs every morning <laughs> in my dorm cafeteria, and I could benefit from some cardio. Um, I also took a class called Quest for Human Destiny, and this was taught by Professor Jay Holstein, who was an ordained Jewish rabbi. And Professor Holstein on campus had the nickname of the swearing rabbi because when he taught, he cussed like a sailor. So it quickly became my favorite class of, <laughs> of all time. And he would lead us through books like Catcher in the Rye and An Old Man in the Sea. We studied a film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. And he would ask us questions like, what is the meaning of life? Do humans have a destiny? What is truth? And it was very interesting. Now, unfortunately, I didn't find any classes on how to become a dolphin trainer, which is what I'd wanted to do since the seventh grade. So I decided to follow in my dad's footsteps, and I became a pharmacist. Um, I chose to get a doctor of pharmacy degree. It's a PharmD degree, and it took about six years to accomplish. Some of the classes became very hard. I was under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Um, Also, things were not going so well back home. And I remember one night, I got a call from one of my parents, and the news shared was very hard. And I got so angry and mad, I got in my car, I drove outside of Iowa City to an open field, and I just let God have it. I mean, I gave some heat to the heavens that night. One of my fingers was pointed towards the sky a lot that night, and I wasn't counting stars with it. I also was not walking closely with the Lord at that time in my life. But I remember thinking one of two things was going to happen. He was either going to come down and squash me like a bug, or he was just too busy. He was way up in the high in the sky, taking care of things like world hunger, 
or something more important than to care about my broken heart. Now many of us can relate to times of incredible pain, causing feelings of hurt and anger. And in the absence of answers, it's not uncommon to channel anger out towards God. Now I'm not at all saying you should swear to him like I did, right? The Bible says let your words be seasoned with salt. Doesn't say let them be seasoned with dirt. I'm just trying to be authentic and honest with you about my own story. But it raises the question, is it okay to get mad at God? And if we do, well then he in return get mad at us. What is the right perspective? In Romans 15, it says that whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct you on how to live. Let's take a look and see what the Bible says about Brother Job. Now, as we read about Job, we know he was a blameless man and a righteous man. He greatly respected God. In a short period of time, we learn, though, that Job loses his family, his wealth, and his health. And he's talking with some friends, and he's, he's getting really frustrated. He feels this great injustice has been done. So here's what he says. Chapter 10, verse 1. I loathe my very life. I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to you, God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges it is you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the, on the plans of the wicked? Several conversations go on between Job and his friends, and God's incredibly patient until chapter 38. Here's what the Lord says. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now take notice, God didn't say to Job it was wrong to have feelings of anger or pain or disappointment. But what he didn't care for so much is when Job demanded that God give an explanation for his actions. Through this encounter, Job learned to return to an attitude of humility and to remember God's nature and God's character. Can I have slide six, please? What is God's nature? 1 Peter 5, cast all of your anxiety onto me because I care for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And Mark 6 from the Passion Translation, come, let's take a break. Let's find a secluded place where you can rest a while. And one of my favorites is in Psalm 73, verse 22, God, I was so stupid. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, Lord. Yet in spite of all this, you comfort me by your counsel and you draw me close to you. You lead me with secret wisdom. After I left the open field that night, my amygdala, which is an almond-shaped structure in our brain, it's the center for processing of emotions and the fight and flight response, that baby calmed down and the prefrontal cortex kicked in. That's the center for rational thinking. God wasn't responsible for what was going on with my parents. I apologized to him for being so very disrespectful that night. Please hear this description um, in Samuel chapter two, or second Samuel, excuse me, chapter 22. If I can find it here. Oh, yeah, here, no. Sorry, one second, here we go. Okay, description of God, hear this. In my distress, I called out to the Lord, 
I called out to God, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, I'm, I'm no theologian, but when I read that, what I hear is that when we cry out to God in distress, he hears us. On top of that, in times of distress, God values spacious places. So I think the question today is, do we? Do we create a spacious place for ourselves when hard times come our way? A place to meet the Lord in. And an equally important question is, do we allow those that we love and care for to have spacious places when they're going through times of distress and pain and grief? I'm not sure I've always done that so well, but I hope I'm getting better. Can I have slide seven, please? Negative feelings are natural reactions to negative events in life. We choose to be honest with God. We take the space that we need, the space he wants to give us, and we come close to the one who invites us in. Slide eight, please. We remind ourselves through scripture of God's nature and his character, and through this we discover an appropriate response to him, a posture of humility. The last topic i like to address in our time together today is what is our perspective in hardship and loss and pain? And earlier this summer, my family and I were on a Southwest Airlines flight. We were flying from San Francisco down to Los Angeles and we pull into LAX, pull up to the gate and the airline attendant gets on the mic and he says, people, please be careful when you stand up and you open the overhead compartment because items during the flight can move. People, what I'm saying to you is shift happens. <laughs> Isn't that just the truth? I thought that was good. <laughs> in life, we can be cruising along at a really great altitude, right? And then all of a sudden, turbulence comes. Sometimes it comes on slowly, and sometimes it hits us like a Mack truck. Well, a great shifting took place in my life in the morning of, on a morning of October of 2012. I remember I woke up the morning of the 24th, and I had had a really creepy dream. And in this dream, someone had had their eyes removed. I couldn't see who the person was. It just made me uncomfortable and, and a little bit scared. So I got dressed and I drove into town and I went for a morning jog. And what I remember most about that jog was the sense of well-being I had. Now, what's ironic is well-being and running don't usually go together for me. So I remember thinking, I couldn't wait to come home and tell Ron about the run. And I got to my car and I saw on my phone that I had missed three calls from him. I thought that was kind of strange. I get home and I walk into the laundry room and Ron is there and my kids are up. It's probably 6, 6.30 in the morning and Ron says to me, Amy, your dad's had a heart attack. Amy, your dad died. And I remember falling to the floor and crying. Um, my dad wasn't just my dad, he was also my friend. <laughs> Sorry. And I remember we would talk about things like pharmacy and marriage and politics, <laughs> uh, current events, all kinds of things. And I have sweet memories as a child when um, my dad would load me into our wood-paneled station wagon. <clears throat> and after a heavy rainstorm, we would go and search for the biggest rain puddle we could find. And he would splash into that sucker and the water would come up on the car. I remember in college, he mailed a Christmas tree to my dorm room. <laughs> because he didn't want me to miss out on the Christmas spirit as I was studying for finals. 
And when my kids were younger, and dad learned we were coming home to spend the night, he would take candy from the pharmacy. And on his lunch break, he would go to the city park and he'd find a tree with a hollowed out area or a hole in it, and he'd shove the candy inside. And later that night when we would get home, he'd say, hey guys, let's go to the park. And he would tell my kids a story about a magic tree that lived in the park. My dad's been gone for seven days, sorry, I wish it was seven. My dad's been gone for seven years now and it's still hard for me to talk about sometimes. What is our perspective when loss and death occur? I'd like to play a movie clip for you today from one of my favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings. And in this movie, there's a band of individuals. There's an elf and a dwarf, some hobbits called halflings. Um, there's a wizard named Gandalf. And together, this bunch of individuals are on a quest to destroy an evil ring. They face many hardships and trials. Would you watch this movie clip with me today? Did you hear the words? Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, Frodo, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given to us. There are other forces at work in this world besides the forces of evil. Gandalf, why the halfling? I don't know. Some believe it is only great power that holds evil at check, but I find it as the small things. Everyday deeds of ordinary folk, small acts of kindness and love that keep the dark away. I didn't think it would end this way, Gandalf. End? The journey doesn't end here. Death is just a part of life. It is one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world pulls back and all turns to silver glass and then you see it. See what, Gandalf? White shores and beyond a far great country and a swift sunrise. That isn't so bad. No, no it is not. After my dad's death, they removed his corneas and after a cornea transplant, there's a person out there now who can see. And slowly with time, his passing is also teaching me how to see. Can I have the next slide please? Slide nine. Here's Psalm 39. Verse four, show me, Lord, my life's end, the number of my days. Help me to understand how fleeting my life is. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach me to number my days that I may apply a heart of wisdom. And 2 Corinthians 5, whether we live or we die, we make it our life's passion to live a life pleasing to him. Friends, God is for you. He is not against you. If you've asked Jesus to come and live in your heart, then you need to remember right now that you have a mighty lion in your corner. He loves you deeply. And not only does he love you deeply, but he really, really likes you. He will never leave you, no matter what life brings your way. This is good news, yes? <laughs> Can I have the next slide, please? Seeking the kingdom of God above all else results in inner spiritual transformation that is of extreme importance if we are to finish well. We allow room and space for deep emotion. We bring them to God who invites us to come close to him. And we remember just how fleeting life is. 
and we choose to remain faithful. We persevere in the journey, revealing the heart and the mind of Christ to others along the way. Worship team, can you come on up, please? Our king is returning soon. Those are his words, not mine. We are only here for a short amount of time. Even the angels right now are watching to see how we spend that time. Together, let's actively seek Jesus and his kingdom above all things that we might have the right perspective until the very end. Friends, will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for my church family who I love so dearly. I thank you for the leaders and the spiritual directors, friends both in this room and outside of this room right now, Lord. Unite us, Father. Give us increasing measures of humility and faith that we could be used by you in whatever way you so choose. Help us to have the right perspective in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen.